I'm fired up. I don't know about you. I'm ready. Uh, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be there in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, or you can access that on the Bible app or however you want to do that. But I want to invite you to, to look with us as we look at Romans chapter 12 in just a minute. <clears throat> we are in uh, week three. If this is uh, If you're here today for Mother's Day or have missed any of the other sermons in this series. We're in week three of a cur- our current sermon series that we're calling Everyday Saints. And in this series, we're talking about really kind of the big idea of this series is our identity in Christ. Uh, as we think about what it means to be people that, that follow Jesus uh, and what, how, how that identity shapes us, one of the things, one of the words that, that we're all familiar with that is most often used to describe followers of Jesus is the word Christian. It's a word we're familiar with, but I said in week one of this series that the word Christian is only used three times in the entire New Testament, and it might surprise you, but the the word that's used the most often to describe Christians is the word saints. And so we're talking about this idea of everyday saint. What does it mean to be a saint, a normal, everyday, ordinary person? Because that's the way that the New Testament describes Christians. It's not, we're not these exceptional we're, we're normal people, right? We're doing normal things, living normal lives. And the word that the Bible uses to describe you is saint. Holy is the same word, set apart. That's who we are. That's our identity. And, and as a way to embrace this identity, uh, I've invited you in, in previous weeks to come and to bring a picture of yourself or a loved one uh, that is maybe no longer here on earth with us, but that you want to acknowledge and recognize And I said, you can bring someone that's not here with us anymore, but you have to also bring a picture of yourself because what happens, I think, is we think of ourselves in a different category, right? That person that I I value, that I kind of put up on a pedestal, they are holy. They're set set apart. They're they're living a certain kind of life. But, But this is what God says, not only about them, but also about you. And so as a way to kind of remind us of this identity, we've had these pictures hanging over the last several weeks, and if you've forgotten and you still haven't brought one, I encourage you to bring uh, that picture. This series is going to go on for several more weeks, and so please do that. Thanks to those of you that have already done that. And so before we start uh, in this week's sermon, looking and thinking about this idea and our identity as saints, I want to pray. I want to ask you if you would to bow with me quickly. Father, we come this morning grateful Grateful that you have highly exalted uh, the name of Christ and you've placed Christ on his throne. He's seated at your right hand and that because of the work that Christ did through the death, his death, burial, and resurrection, that we now have a new identity. We're new people, new creations. And we pray, God, that we will continue as we move forward in this study to step into that identity because it's quite honestly hard for many of us to embrace and to receive that we are who you say we are because we've been shaped and formed uh, by so many other things. I pray this morning, God, that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. You'll speak to us today. Your spirit will be present and among us and working. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, a story is told about the nation of Israel. And in the story of Exodus, the nation of Israel specifically, the story is told about them being enslaved 
to the nation of Egypt. For over 400 years, Israel was enslaved by Egypt. And after all these years in slavery, God raises up a leader in the book of Exodus. God raises up a leader named Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And it takes a while, if you're familiar with the story, but you may not be, it takes a while to, for this Egyptian pharaoh to decide that he's ready to let these Israelite slaves go. And while making his decision, ten different plagues completely destroy his, his country. Crops and livestock are wiped out. The Egyptian water supply is turned to blood. But eventually, Pharaoh relents and he lets the Israelites go. So Moses, this leader that God has raised up, Moses takes these Israelites and he leads them out into the wilderness. And just a few pages into the story, after they are free people and they're wondering, kind of like, what's next? What's the next chapter in our life going to look like? After generation, after generation, after generation, after generation, after generation, after generation have been enslaved. What is this next chapter going to look like? We don't know what it means to live as free people. We have only known one way of life. And as they're standing out in the wilderness wondering about this next stage of their life, God calls Moses up to the mountain to talk. And while they're on the mountain talking, God says these words in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6 to Moses. He says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples, Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses is, is charged to go back down from the mountain and communicate this message to the Israelites. What in the world is going on? How are we going to make our way forward? And God speaks into their identity. Because see, what happens is when you've been enslaved that long, you lose your, self, your identity as a person, who you are as an individual. You forget who you are. So here at the beginning of the rest of their lives, God wants Moses to be sure that the people know that they are different, that they've been set apart. They've been called out from the life of, as slaves to live as a free people. And God wants them to know that they are his people out of all the peoples on the earth, that he has chosen them. And that God's intentions are to make them into a holy nation. A kingdom that will survive over the years so that eventually the Savior of the world can enter the world through this Israelite people. And eventually can come into the world and can break the curse of sin and death once and for all. That's the story of the Bible in two minutes or however long that took me. And if you fast forward after Jesus has come to earth and gone back to the Father, several hundred years into the New Testament, and Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians that are scattered all around the world at that time. Trying, they're trying their best to live godly lives. They're trying their best to do things in a way that honor and please God in a world that is not really interested in God or does not yet know God. And to make his point, 
Peter, as he's writing this letter, he reaches all the way back to the story in Exodus. And he picks up on this conversation that God and Moses are having on a mountain. And he says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There it is again, same word, same language, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. From the beginning of the story, all the way through to the end, there is this consistent theme, this consistent message that makes its way onto the pages of Scripture. And that message is that God says that you are holy, that God says that His people are unique, that God says that His people are set apart and different. What God wanted was his, for His people to be different, to be set apart from all the other nations around the globe. So it's no surprise as you think about this theme and this message that's all over the pages of Scripture that as new people are coming to know Jesus in Rome, that Paul would say some really similar things to them, which is where we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 12. I actually want to begin at the, the end of Romans chapter 11, verse 33, to give us just a bit of context for why Paul says what he says. Paul writes this, this song, or this, almost this prayer. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments how, and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, which is why I read that part, because if he says therefore, you've got to look backwards, like an arrow that points backwards. What's it there for? So he says all these things, and he says, because of that, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of this, this God that no one has ever given to, that he could be repaid, this God that for, from him and through him and for him are all things, the depths of his riches and wisdom and knowledge are unsearchable. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of that mercy, God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy, there's that word, and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul's plea to the saints in Rome is to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a play on words. In a sacrifice, something has to die. Something gets laid up on the altar and it dies and then it's lit on fire and then there's this aroma that goes up to the sky. But now, as Paul is using this image of sacrifice, it's a play on words. He's really not intending anybody dies, right? He's saying Christ has done all the dying that needs to be done. Once and for all, there's only, there's, there was a sacrifice and there will never need to be another sacrifice. But in view of God's mercy and goodness and faithfulness to you, 
what you can do, Paul says. Our response, Paul says, is to offer ourselves not by dying but by living as the saints, as the holy people that Christ made us into through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we're not motivated, friends. We're not motivated because we feel like we need to atone for our sins. So often I think we want to live a certain life. We think we want to live a certain life for God because we realize the cross happened and Jesus rose from the dead, but we're like, well, maybe that wasn't quite enough. Maybe I still need to do something to atone for the sins of my life, the imperfection and brokenness in my own life. No, we're not motivated by our need to atone for our sins. Jesus atoned for your sins. Jesus did all the dying that needs to be done. And now, Paul says, in in view of that, offer your bodies. We're motivated by God's mercy that has been freely given to us. Our response is to live lives, live lives before God and people that God imagines for us to live. But what does it mean? What does it really mean to live as saints? Paul's answer, honestly, is, is pretty easy. It's, it's hard, but it's an easy thought. It's be different. Be the different people that you were intended to be from the very beginning of the story all the way back when God and Moses were having that conversation on the mountain. That's the people that God imagined that we all be from the beginning, from the outset of this story. And it was true then and it's true now. And the living that happens of this different life is the worship that we offer, Paul says. This is your true and proper worship. We think of worship as coming and singing and breaking bread together and some prayers and some stuff that maybe happens in this space. Paul says, well, maybe that's worship, but what really worship looks like is you living your life in the way that God imagined. God, Christ died so that you would be in, able to live it. And in verse 2, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he uses this word conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What, what I think Paul knows is that we are all being formed by the things around us, aren't we? We are all being shaped by the things around us all the time. I mean, you were formed, even if you don't realize that you're being formed by it, you are. You, were formed, you have been formed by the family of origin that you come from, your family you grew up with. You're formed by your culture. You're formed by your success, and you're formed by your failure. You're formed by the opinions of others. Ah, oh, Doug, I'm not. I do, I'm my own person. I don't care what it No, You're formed by the opinions of others. Everybody is. We can't, it's, undeni- it's unavoidable. We're formed by music and movies and advertising and friends. We're formed by work. We're formed at home. And there's a pattern in all of this formation that's taking place, almost a mold that you're being invited to kind of fit into, to step into. Here's how we do parenting these days. Here's how many hours a person should give to their career. Here's how we do things in this part of town, this part of our world, this part of the country. Here's how you're supposed to think and vote and act. Here's what you're supposed to care about. You know, by this point in your life, you should have accomplished these things. 
Amazon tells you that you need this. You didn't even know you needed it, but you went on Amazon to buy it, and they knew that you needed the thing that you didn't even know you needed to buy. Here's what people wear. You need to fit into this mold. Facebook urges you to compare your life to theirs. Look at their vacation and their perfect life that you and I know good and well is not perfect. You need to fit into that mold. Maybe you're not doing something right if your life can't reach that point. And as we do this, friends, what we're doing is we're listening to the voice of the enemy, right? Your life isn't really as good as the one that you imagined for yourself. All these other people must be happier than you. I mean, look, they said there, right there on their last post, how happy they are. Now, we live in a world that is lined up, waiting to form us. Here is the mold that we want you to fit in. Now, just get in. Just get in. And we end up, often, without even thinking about it, we end up getting in to that mold, that that pattern that's being laid out for us. We end up being formed by many things, often without even asking. You're like, is this best for me? Is this wise? Will my life be actually better, more enriched? Will this help me on the path that I'm pursuing in my attempts to be like Christ? Without even considering questions like that, we just jump into the mold, jump into the pattern. And the world, the world baits the hook, right? The reason I wanted to talk about it this morning is I, just, I think if we can just see it, that it helps us expose it and then avoid it at times. The world baits the hook and then we bite thinking that it will satisfy, thinking that it will scratch the itch that we have. And when we know what we've found, all of us have found, is that when we do take the bait, it doesn't satisfy us in the ways that we were told that it would, right? And the reason we bite is always the same. We've forgotten our identity. See, like Israel, we have been living in another country for so long that we've started to think that we must be slaves for life. That must be who we are. And we, for, we fail to remember that Christ has given us a new identity and said that is not who you are. See, 430 years as, a, as slaves in Egypt... For Israel, and just days after, you read the story in Exodus, just days after they're led out of Egypt in this terrible life that they had been living under the oppressive Pharaoh. This, they're led out of the wilderness and they're upset. Just a few days after, they're upset with Moses for bringing them out into the wilderness. We had it better in Egypt, they say. Ha! And Moses is like, God, what am I going to do with these people? They don't clearly don't get it. See, what I think was happening was that they were suffering from a case of misidentity. They, they thought they were one thing, and they couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that God had said they were somebody else. They were the, this holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people that belonged to God. And I can't help but wonder this morning, isn't this what we do too? forget who we are? Thinking that, that going with the flow, our lives looking like everyone else's is okay. I mean, I guess that's what it means to be a Christian. Falling into behavior patterns that are a part of our former identity as slaves to sin and death. And who can blame us, honestly? I mean, the, the, there's times where the, the world's pull is incredibly strong. 
And often the world's full will, uh, there, there is an, an enormous appearance that that life is going to be more fun. See, and I think this is where the problem lies, honestly. Christianity kind of got a bad rap somewhere along the way and became known for things that it's against instead of things that it's for. We've been against blank, right? I mean, you just take your pick, take your era. There's always something to put the fill in the blank. Dancing, drinking, money, fun, you know? And in walks Jesus, and he says, I came, I came to give you life to the full. Not to, not to take, 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 but to give you a life that's more abundant than you could possibly imagine. So what that meant was, as we fall into that way of thinking that, that Christianity must be known for what it's against instead of what it's for, what that meant and what that was translated into was that to be a saint, to be holy, to be set apart, you had to abstain from everything. Think about this. Holiness in our minds is usually about what we abstain from. But Jesus, as I read Jesus in the Gospels, did not seem to understand holiness in this way. Not as what you're abstaining from, but what you are giving yourself to. The people that you think of as saints gave their lives probably to something, gave their, their, their hearts and their passion to something that impressed you. That you noticed, right? It might have been an occasional choice that they made to not do this when the crowd was doing this. But often it was probably because they gave themselves to something. Jesus seems to think that being a holy person means giving yourself to mercy and love and hospitality and forgiveness. Again, are there behaviors that are unbecoming of a saint? Absolutely. But if you pursue Jesus... I believe this. If you pursue Jesus, you will find fun, meaning, fulfillment, life to the full. And if you pursue fun, pleasure, fulfillment outside of Christ, it may feel temporarily satisfying, but it will never satisfy us completely. The way that we are known to be different is how this identity plays out in our lives. And we have to understand we have a new name, a new identity and live into that. So instead of people asking us what we are against, people ask us things like, why do you care so much for the poor and marginalized? I've noticed you really seem to be more for your family than your career. Can you tell me about that? You seem so full of peace. Can we talk about that? Could, could, you, could you explain where that comes from? You seem to honor everyone around you no matter how they treat you. That is really odd in the world we live in. What's up with that? Can you talk to me about that? These are just a few questions that convey, I think, what you're for. And this doesn't mean that our lives are perfect. Far from it. It means that we understand the behavior, the life, the choice, the pursuit that is a part of what it means to be a saint, that our priorities are aligned enough that we, the differentness in us is visible and I, and I struggle with this, honestly. I, does my life look different from anybody else around me that doesn't have Jesus as a part of their life? God has given us a new identity, church. And the reason this matters is because when they see us, they get a glimpse of God. Isn't that wild to you? That when they see God's, I've said this before, but it still blows my mind that God's plan has always been to use imperfect, everyday saints. 
I don't know what else the options were, but if I could have raised my hand and be like, I got another suggestion, it feels like it might have been a better plan, right? But apparently God knows best, and this is his plan. That, and it matters because when people look at our lives, they see God. We are a reflection of God. We are Christ's ambassadors, as Paul says in another place. God is making his appeal through us, Scripture says. So, because I know this is a hard idea to embrace, our differentness, right? I have asked some, some teens to help me with something this morning. Those of you that I asked, y'all can get up. We're gonna, they're going to begin passing something out to you. I just want you to hold on to it when you get it. Um, it's going to take just a second. So would some of y'all teens that I didn't talk to help these guys that I did talk to get these things passed out more quickly because it might take a little while if we... If, you can just pass them down the aisle and let people take one. We're gonna, we're gonna, what you're going to be getting in your hand here in just in the next couple of minutes is a glow necklace. And um, I, don't, I just want you to hold it. I don't want you to crack it yet, although you'll get to, and it'll be really satisfying when you get to do it in just a second. I have mine up here. All right, once you, once you have yours, you can go ahead and crack the glow necklace that you have in your hand. Such a wonderful sound, isn't it? Moms, you're not getting cheap jewelry for Mother's Day from the church. Once your necklace is glowing, I want you to connect to the ends. Everybody, we still need some, quite a few. Okay, so everybody had their, their, their necklace? I got an oh yeah from the front, that's good. <clears throat> All right, so after you get it, go ahead and crack it. Still got a few that are, that are being passed out here. Now, those of you that are introverts, this is going to be uncomfortable for you for just a minute. I'm just going to let you know ahead of time. Uh, but it, the pain will only last for a short time. Um, all right, Robert, would you go ahead and kind of turn the lights down a little bit? So what we're going to, th- this looks, you know, most situations this, is, this looks like uh, a necklace, but I want you to, uh, I actually want, to put, want you to put it on your head, and it's going to be a halo. <coughs> yeah, just keep it on. Everybody do it. Everybody that's cool is doing it. So I'm just going to snap some pictures real quickly here. <laughs> keep it on. Keep it on. This is, you know I wouldn't do this unless there was a point, so you just hang, hang on. The point's coming. All right. Um, if it's just wearing you out to have this on your head because for whatever reason, you, your anxiety is really high right now, you can take it off. The rest of us are going to keep it on, though. I want you to hang with me just for a second. Here's the point. It feels a bit awkward, doesn't it? I see some of you taking selfies. That's okay. Go ahead. Post, it, post your picture. You have permission to use your phones. You might take your family Mother's Day picture with your halo on. 
here's why I wanted to do this. It feels different, doesn't it? Like, it feel, even feels a little bit odd. Like, are we in Miss Rawlings' first and second grade class right now? And you may feel uncomfortable. I guarantee you that you'll remember this sermon. You may not remember what I said, but you'll remember the day you put a halo on your head and that we talked about being saints. And that's part of why I wanted to do it. Because I believe, church, that we have a hard time embracing this identity. Stepping into who we are, that God has said, this is who we are. This is what it... And I, and I can't help but wonder as I stand up here awkwardly with this thing on my head, if, if maybe this is what it feels like to be different, to be wholly different from those around us, to be viewed by the world as different, to be a saint. One of my favorite stories is the story of Don Quixote, the man of La Mancha, In the story, Don Quixote, if you're not familiar with it, is portrayed as a crazy old man. He's read a lot of love stories. He's kind of imagines the world in a way that it's really not. And he thinks that he's a brave soldier, a brave knight. And he battles windmills that he imagines to be giants. And he sees the world in the way that it should be, but not the way that it is. Everyone is royalty. This is Pablo Picasso's painting of the story that I have hanging in my office. Here, Don Quixote is riding next to his sidekick and partner, Sancho. And in the story, Don Quixote befriends a prostitute that everyone calls Aldonza. But Don Quixote never, never calls the prostitute by that name. He calls her Dulcinea, which means sweet one. And every time Don, Don Quixote calls Dulcinea Every time he calls this woman Dulcinea, the people in town, they laugh. And they roll their eyes because they know she's Aldonza, the prostitute. But at the end of the story, Don Quixote is dying and there is by his side Dulcinea. And she begins to sing this song, which I won't sing, but I love to dream. You know, this, this song is to dream the impossible dream. Don Quixote dies and sh- someone shouts, her name, they say, Aldonza. And she stands and she holds her head high and she says, my name is Dulcinea. Love had changed her. She was different. She embraced her true identity and she left the former identity behind and went on her way. And this morning, I tell that story because that's our story. That's the gospel story, honestly. That we were, in our former way of life, one thing. And now, because we have known Jesus and surrendered our life to him, we are different. We are new creations. And our response, church, is to offer ourselves, not not in dying, though if that's what it takes, that's what we're asked to do, but as living sacrifices so that the world looks at us and they see that something is clearly different and that they're attracted to Jesus Christ because of the way we live. Love has changed us too. And our response now is that we embrace our new name. We embrace our new identity. This morning, it may be that that you are living in life with this former way of life, this former identity kind of constantly nagging, pulling you down, pulling you back, reminding you of who you were or once were, right? 
And I want you to, to hear and believe and embrace this morning that God has spoken into your life and given you a new name. And our response is to, to res- surrender our lives in return. And maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you want to do that. Today would be a great day to do that. It may be that you just need to be reminded today. We need to be reminded today that we're called to be different. We're called to be set apart and holy. And I hope that this message will help this idea get deeper, more deeply ingrained in our hearts and in our minds. Let's pray together. Father, we love you again and we're grateful to you for who you are, who you call us to be, for your mercy and grace that is uh, not one time, but is constantly forgiving and redeeming us, calling us into a holy life. God, I pray this morning for those who struggle, who are struggling, all of us at times do struggle to embrace this identity. We believe the lies of the enemy and his, the, the, the pattern of this world that he so actively works to suck us into. I pray, God, that you'll continue to call us up, call us out into the way that you would have us walk. I'm grateful for this church uh, that's willing to do things that their quirky, weird preacher asks them to do to make the point. And I pray this morning, God, that you'll help this idea get sink deep into our, our bones so that we'll, we'll, we'll be able to stand up and say, no, my name is not that. My, I'm a new person. I have a new identity. I'm a child of God. I'm being made into a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people that belong to God. We love you and we're grateful for the work that you did to make this identity possible. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?